God bless you. Well, good morning. It's a treat to be at uh, Southeast. We've had a chance to be here in the past. Uh, a few years back when Dad was here, we came along and helped with some music and the kids and enjoyed uh, the teen refresh afterwards as well. So it's good to be back with you all, see some familiar faces, and uh, we're excited about the days that are in front of us. We're taking our Bibles this morning and going to the book of Romans, please. Romans chapter 12. We do appreciate your prayers for my mom and dad as they uh, travel this journey of battling cancer. We got news of that back in February, and uh, we had just been down and had a chance to visit with them, and uh, mom had not been feeling well, and she went in to the ER, and they did some blood work and came back and said, we think you have leukemia. That was news to us, and it's been quite a learning curve. The Lord has been sustaining her. She went through a round of intense chemotherapy treatment in the hospital, sent her home for a little bit to recover, and brought her back in for a bone marrow transplant. That happened a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she's still in the hospital even this morning. But they believe that that transplant has taken, her immune system is beginning to rebuild, and they're hoping to get her out and home in uh, the next week or so. And then it's still quite a recovery process, and so uh, we appreciate those that are so graciously understanding with dads need to be alongside there on a regular basis to be a, a support to her. But we're privileged to be with you for these days, and I know you've been planning and preparing and praying for this, and uh, we're excited for what God wants to do in our hearts throughout this week. We're locals to Indianapolis. We live on the north side. In fact, I have the privilege of uh, serving on staff at Colonial Hills Baptist Church, one of the sister churches here in town. So uh, we didn't have to commute too far, just down to the south side here, and uh, we're thankful for that opportunity. I know there are a lot of moving parts and things that are going on this week, and everybody's involved in one way or another. When it comes to revival services and the church as a whole, all of us can be a good team player. The NBA finals are going on. I don't usually watch the NBA until it gets to the finals because otherwise it's kind of boring. I do go down to the Pacers game from time to time. My son likes that. But uh, it takes a team in order to win a, a championship. I know some like to just think it's one particular guy, but he can't do it all. Uh, they've got to have some other help on there. It, they say it takes teamwork to make the dream work. You know, it's one thing to watch that on the ball court. It's even more important to see that happen in church. All of us have a way to participate in allowing God's glory to be seen in this place. You say, well, how can I be a good team player this week? Let me give you three words that will help us out. One, be involved. You know all of us can do that. We can be involved by being in our place. Thank you for being here this morning. Trust you'll join us tonight in the 6 o'clock service. You say, you know, I don't usually go to the Sunday night service. We'll do something different this week. It's revival week. Shock your system. You might like it so well, you'll make a good holy habit out of it in being in God's house on Sunday evening. We call it the Lord's Day for a reason, not just in the morning, right? And gathering with God's people once again in the evening, it's a wonderful chance to be under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. Be back tonight at 6, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. The week will come and go very, very quickly. I know we're up early and a lot of things going on, fighting the Indianapolis traffic. But I've learned something over the years. That is, we seem to do what we want to do. Have you ever noticed that? If something's important to you and it's a priority to you, you'll find a way to make it work so that you can be there. Hey, I trust this week in the life of this church and in your life and in your family that these days, these meetings will be important to you, that you've set some time aside to be here. They've made it uh, readily available with a 6 o'clock meal for you. I know sometimes you're coming right off of work and they've got a chance for you to eat here and then come right into the 7 o'clock service. Perhaps you're running a little late from work to get here and it's a few minutes after 7. That's all right. You come. We've had people in meeting. The one guy said, I work for UPS. My route takes me all the way up till close to the 7 o'clock hour. He said, I might come in dressed in uniform. We said, that's fine. Come on in. If you stink, sit in the lobby. But come on in. We'd like to have you for the services. 
Another guy said, look, I work for FedEx, equal advertising here, okay? So whatever uh, corporation you may be involved in, we want to invite you to be with us throughout this week. We're really only asking for two additional nights above and beyond what's going on typically around here. Normally you've got Sunday services and midweek service on Wednesday night. We're asking for Monday and Tuesday night. So if you would, be here. I know the Lord will bless you for that and work in our hearts as we're here under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. Be involved. Secondly, be inviting. Each uh, service, the messages will be geared not only for us as believers, but the gospel will be presented. And uh, I've learned from Dad over the years to do that and put the gospel in there. So if you've got a guest that's coming tonight or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, you can be assured that the gospel will be shared with them. We don't want anybody to come and go without knowing how they can be born into the family of God. So be involved, be inviting. Third, be interceding. I know you've been doing that already and asking God to work in our hearts and the lives of those that will be here throughout this week. If you do those three things, we'll have a wonderful time together. Be involved, be inviting, be interceding. We're privileged to partner with you the next few days as we share from God's Word. Romans chapter 12. You found that text. Would you stand please with me out of respect for God's Word if you're able? Romans 12. We'll read verses 1 and 2. You follow along as I read aloud. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but... Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This morning we're preaching on what it takes to be a dedicated Christian. Would you keep your Bible open? You can be seated and we'll ask the Lord to bless His Word to our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to be in Your house on this day that You've made. We rejoice. We're glad in it. Thank You for the special music that's pointed our minds and hearts to Christ. We desire to worship you today in spirit and in truth. We've done so through our singing, our giving, and now, Lord, may we do it by not just being hearers of the Word, but also doers of the Word of God. We pray for anybody that's come to our service today, and yet they're not certain where they'll spend eternity. They've never been born again. May they understand how they can be and receive by faith the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For believers... May this week we take spiritual steps of growth that we'll be glad that we did. May we understand from your word the importance of how we can be and why we ought to be dedicated believers. And may we in turn glorify you by living that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dedication is applauded in almost every arena of life. Millions watch as athletes compete with precision because of their dedication to a sport. Thousands may fill auditoriums to hear a musician because of the hours they've dedicated in learning that instrument or that vocal technique, getting it just right. A lawyer is one who's dedicated their life in understanding and knowing the law. A physician is driven great accolades because he or she understands medicine. All of us appreciate it as an employee when we have an employer who does right by us. An employer appreciates employees who will show up on time, put in a full day's work for a full day's pay. And all of us salute the men and women who've dedicated their lives in service to our country and to its freedoms. But for some reason, there seems to be a lack of dedication among those that claim the name of Jesus Christ. Often we're dedicated citizens, and we ought to be. You may be a dedicated parent or grandparent. That's a wonderful thing to be. Perhaps you're a sports fanatic, and I suppose that's all right. But God is telling us here in Romans 12 that we're to be dedicated 
sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul is tackling here in these two verses that are often very familiar to us. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul details what happens to a person when they get born into the family of God. He lays great doctrinal foundation for the Christian life. And now as he often does in his writings, he turns in the latter part of his letter to how we can put into practice those doctrinal truths. He says, here's the doctrine, now here's the duty that those doctrines demand. You know, in the Christian life, doctrine and duty always go together. It's not enough just to know what the Bible says. We're to put it into practice. We're to apply it to our life. We're to live it out. Simply stated, our beliefs ought to determine our behavior. So this morning from our text, I want us to ask and answer three simple questions. First of all, why should you and I be dedicated believers? Secondly, how can we be a dedicated Christian? And finally, what happens when we choose to live this way, sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let's tackle question number one. Why? Why should you and I be a dedicated Christian? Paul answers that in verse 1 when he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The word beseech means to call alongside for counsel, to beg, to admonish, to entreat. You know, if you've been saved... God is imploring and begging and beseeching you and me as believers to be dedicated Christians. You say, well, what basis does he have for that plea? He says, I beseech you on the mercies of God. Here's the foundation of his request. Here is the doctrine that demands duty. Here's the learning that requires living. Here's the belief that ought to determine our behavior. It's none other than the mercies of God. Now, We don't have time this morning to go throughout the pages of Scripture to see all the mercies that God has bestowed so graciously upon us. No doubt you're familiar with the words of Jeremiah and Lamentations when the Bible says it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. He's great in His faithfulness. You know, it's interesting. Americans are notorious for crying out for their rights. You know, you don't want what you rightfully deserve, spiritually speaking. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death, eternal separation from God. Thank God He's great in His grace. His grace and His mercy wants to spare us from what we rightfully deserve. But I think the mercies of God in the context of Romans 12 could be boiled down and summarized into one word, and that would be the word salvation. For what Romans does is details what happens when a person gets born again, when they get saved by the grace of God. And Paul looks at salvation kind of in three aspects. Now, salvation is a package deal, but we could look at it in three distinct aspects. What are those? Well, when we get saved, you are justified. The word means you're made righteous in your standing before God. You say, well, why would I need to be justified? The answer is... Because we have no righteousness of our own. In fact, Paul opens the the, the letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 to explain to us that all of us, because of our sin, we deserve God's just wrath to be poured out upon us. That's We're thankful that we're the object of His love because we become His children, but we're born in the family of Satan and we're the enemies of God and we deserve His wrath. In chapter 2 he explains that all of us are without an excuse before God. Did you know there's no one that can one day look at God and say, I didn't understand your love for me. God has revealed Himself to mankind in so many different ways. 
He's revealed himself through creation. The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. We walk outside and we see the beauty of God's creation and we understand there's a design. That means there's a designer. There's a creation. That means there's a creator that we are responsible to. He's revealed himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin that became sin for us so that we the sinners might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's his robes for mine. What a wonderful thing that's taken place in salvation. He's revealed himself through the pages of scripture so that we can understand how to have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're without an excuse. He goes on to explain to us in chapter 3 that we're all under sin. In verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. All of us fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's glory is the fact that He's perfect, but we were born imperfect. That He's righteous, but we were born unrighteous. That He's holy, but we were born unholy. So mankind kind of has this idea. They say, well, if God is here and He's perfect and holy and righteous, and I'm down here imperfect, unholy, and unrighteous, there must be something that I can do to attain or achieve the standard that God has set. So man thinks, I know what I'll do. I'll go to church. Good place to be. Glad you're here today. That'll make you a sinner sitting in church. But you still fall short of the glory of God. You say, well, how about if I join the church? Join this one? That would make you a Baptist sinner. But you would still fall short of the glory of God. You say, well, I'll get baptized. That'll make you a wet Baptist sinner. But you'll still fall short of the glory of God. You say, I'll read my Bible. That'll make you an intelligent wet Baptist sinner. But you'll still fall short of the glory of God. There is nothing that we can do as imperfect, unholy, unrighteous sinners to attain the standard that God has set. We cannot get to God. That's why God came to us. He did that through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, while we're without an excuse and deserve God's wrath and we're under sin and we have no righteousness and we fall short of the glory of God, Paul tells us in chapter 4 of the book of Romans, it's Jesus who paid for our offenses. It's Jesus who was raised again for our justification. So he announces in Romans 5 and verse 1, we've been justified by faith. We now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, good news. When you get saved, no longer are you the enemy of God. You become a child of God. No longer are you in darkness. You're transferred to light. No longer under condemnation. You've been given salvation. No longer dead in trespasses in sins. Friend, you've been made alive. You've been justified. That's one aspect of salvation. But he talks about a second. He talks to us about sanctification. That's the process by which God makes a Christian more like Jesus. He tells us in Romans chapter 6 that we are as a believer to walk now in newness of life. The children's song put it this way. The things I used to do, don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Can I ask you this morning? What has changed about your life since the day you say you got saved? If you examine your life and find the absence of any change there, that could mean the absence of God there. Because when God enters a person's life, He begins to change them for His glory to make them more like the Lord Jesus. He tells us that we've been saved not only from the penalty of sin, but the very power of sin. As a believer, we can walk through the power of the Spirit of God in that newness of life. You say, but there's a struggle, yes. Paul understood that. In fact, in chapter 7, he says, the things I know I ought to do, I don't do them. 
the things I know I shouldn't do, I long for. He says, O wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this wickedness? The answer is through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have victory in Jesus. Hey, did you realize that the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit of God that indwells you and me as believers, enables, empowers, and equips us to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been justified if you've been saved. You're being sanctified, but there's a future aspect, at least from our perspective in salvation, it's called glorification. That one day we'll be in the very presence of God and we'll be given a glorified body. Romans 8 and verse 17 says, We're joint heirs with Jesus that we might be glorified together with Him. You know, on this earth, we've got this outside shell we call a body. It gets old, it has problems, it deals with all kinds of medical deals. But one day, we'll be in the very presence of God. No more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. We long for that day of glorification. You say, why do you tell us all that? Because it's answering our first question. Why should I be a dedicated Christian? You know the short answer? Because of all that God has given us in salvation. You've been justified. You're being sanctified. One day you'll be glorified. That's why you ought to be a dedicated believer. But Paul helps us out and he answers a practical question. How? How on this earth can I be a dedicated believer? He goes on to say we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable unto God, it's our reasonable service. You know, to be a dedicated Christian, first of all, requires surrendering of ourselves to God. He says we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. That word present means to yield, to place at the disposal of another. Paul uses it in Romans 6 and verse 13 when he says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Rather, yield yourself unto God. He says we're to present our bodies. You know, for a human being, that's everything about us, isn't it? It's what we watch, what we listen to. It's what we talk about. It's what we think about. It's where we go. It's how we live. No wonder Paul would remind the Corinthians, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, listen to his words, which are God's. Did you know when you get saved, you don't belong to you anymore? You're not here to do your thing. You're here to do the thing for which God created you. That's to give Him glory. You say, how can I do that? You give God glory as a believer when you live a dedicated Christian life. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. I don't know about you, but I'm glad the Bible says a living sacrifice, aren't you? I mean, there are some cults and religions that teach children from the time they're young that they'll martyr themselves for their faith. God says, that's not what I'm asking. I want you instead to live for me. Did you realize that choosing to live for God actually takes a daily denying and dying to self and yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ? You say, well, how does the body become a living sacrifice? Somebody said, let the eye look, look at no evil. It's a sacrifice. Let the mind avoid pondering sin. Let the tongue speak nothing false. Let the ear hear no corruption. Let the hand work no sin. But rather, let your eye watch for Christ's coming. Let your mind meditate on His holy word. Let your tongue praise His matchless name. Let your ears listen for His calling. Let your hands work for the glory of God. And the body becomes a living sacrifice. 
You know, a living sacrifice means a constant, continuous sacrifice. It's not just dedicating ourselves to the Lord once in a while. Some people kind of have this idea that they can go to church and they give their Sunday to God and the other days of the week and they can live any way they want, not and be a dedicated Christian. We lived in South Carolina for a few years. Down the street from our neighborhood was a church that had a marquee sign, kind of like yours. They would change the sayings out there from time to time. One caught my attention. It read this. God is not interested in weekend visitation. He wants full custody. You know, some people kind of have the idea they go to church and nod to God on Sunday and think, I've got six days to live any way I want. No, a dedicated Christian is one who serves God 24-7. It means that we offer to the Lord all of our hopes and our plans and our dreams, everything that we hold precious and dear, we're willing to place it back in His hands. It's like a little boy I heard about that went to a church similar to this one. One Sunday the pastor was talking about how the next Sunday they'd be taking up a sacrificial offering. He encouraged the people to pray about what they might give to help the Lord's work go forward, even above and beyond what they usually did. The boy got excited about that. He wanted to have something to give in that offering. So on the way home, he said, Mom, Dad, what can, I, what can I do around the house to earn some extra money? I want to be able to give in that offering. His parents sadly had it done. Well, son, we, we really don't have any extra. Every penny's going to put food on the table and pay bills. He thought, that's all right, I'll get a job. He went around the neighborhood and a few of the places in the, in the area and tried to knock on some doors and, and get a work, but he was too young, too inexperienced. Nobody would hire him. He felt bad about that until he had an idea that came to mind. He walked in the next Sunday to church. His family sat in their usual spot. He decided to sit on the end of the row that day. The pastor got up and announced once again about the sacrificial nature of the offering and encouraged the people about what they might give. The music began to be played. The ushers began to distribute the offering plate. It came to where the little boy was, but the usher handed him the plate. The boy wouldn't take it. The man said, we're taking the offering. You've got to pass it down the row. The boy said, well, I want to give something, but I I can't do it passing the plate down the row. The usher looked confused. The little boy said, well, can you you lower the plate a little bit? Okay. Lower. Can Can you just put it on the floor? Okay. The usher put the plate on the floor. The little boy stood from his seat and put both feet in the offering plate. He had nothing monetarily to give. He gave himself. That's a living sacrifice. He says we're to be a living sacrifice that's holy. You know that Bible term. It means set apart. Set apart from sin, set apart to God. He says we're to be a living sacrifice, holy, and then he says acceptable unto God. That's an interesting term. It carries the idea of being well-pleasing. You know so much of our life, we go through it trying to figure out what pleases me. I want to live here and do this and listen to that and watch this. Those please me. You know a dedicated Christian doesn't think that way? They're not just concerned about what pleases them. They're concerned about what pleases Him. Do my entertainment choices, are they well-pleasing to God? Is the way I conduct myself in the workplace, is it well-pleasing to God? The language that I use, is it well-pleasing to God? You say, that sounds like a lot to ask. I've got to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. God knew we would think that, so we put the last little phrase in verse 1 there. See what it says? Which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable comes from a Greek word. Sometimes we get the English word logical. Here's what God is saying. After all I've given you in salvation, it just makes sense that you'd serve me. He says it's your reasonable service. That word carries the idea of worship. You know, sometimes we talk about worship as something 
that we do corporately here in this place, in a church auditorium. And we do that corporately, Sunday by Sunday. But did you know that God wants you to view your entire life as an act of worship? It's not just what happens on a Sunday morning that ascribes worth to God. It's the way you go to work tomorrow. It's the way you treat your spouse on Tuesday and rear your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord on Wednesday. It's 24-7 living for the glory of God. So when we put it all together, here's what Paul is saying. After all we've received by the mercies of God, our only logical, reasonable, spiritual response must be as an act of worship to present God with all that we are and with all that we have. You know what that's called? It's called surrender. To be a dedicated Christian requires surrendering of ourselves to God, but it also requires separation from the world. He says in verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word conform means to fashion oneself according to. Assuming an outward expression that's not true of an inner heart life. It's the idea of putting on a mask. Here's what God is saying. Look, you've been saved. My spirit lives inside of you. You're not supposed to act like, talk like, live like, look like the world. There's supposed to be a distinction there. You're called to be different. He says, don't be conformed. The word conformed is a present passive imperative. You say, you lost me. It's not hard. Present tense. God says, do this today, tomorrow. Keep doing it. It's an imperative. You remember what that means. God's not just suggesting this to us. He's giving us a command. But then it's passive. Okay? He's saying, don't be conformed. That means there's an outside force that does this to us. Don't be conformed to this world. There's the outside force. The world is everything the current day and age promotes, including the way we dress and what we talk about and what we watch, what we listen to. In essence, what he's telling us is, stop allowing the world to squeeze you into its mold. When I was a kid, my sisters and I enjoyed playing with that moldable clay called Play-Doh. My parents weren't fans, and now as a parent, I understand why. It gets stuck on all kinds of things. It's kind of a pain, but it's fun to play with. You can make all kinds of silly creatures. One Christmas, I remember my, my two younger sisters and I asking and begging our parents for the latest gift coming out. It was something called the Spaghetti Factory. Does anybody remember the Spaghetti Factory? Yeah, a few of you do. We got one of those things for Christmas. It was a mold set. You know, you could take the Play-Doh and stick it down in this little compartment, press down on one handle, and had adapters for the other side, and you could conform that Play-Doh into all kinds of non-edible Italian dishes, right? You had the spaghetti and the fettuccine and the sausages and the pepperoni. I mean, we, we, we had a blast doing that, conforming it to that standard. Here's the problem. There's a lot of Christians, when the world applies pressure, they come out walking like, talking like, looking like, and living like the world, and God is saying, stop that. Stop allowing the world to squeeze you into its mold. You say, well, how would I know if that's happening to me? Let's ask a few test questions, shall we? Let's ask it this way. Do you long after the world's form of entertainment? Can you hardly wait to watch this and download this, and i got to see this, and i got to make sure I'm up on that? If that's what life is all about to you, friend, you're being conformed to this world. Do you have to have the world's fame and success? Do you prize, prize on having the world's approval? Hey, are you more concerned about what your boss thinks about you? what your neighbor thinks about you, or what God knows about you. Do you use the vocabulary of the world? One set, you can clean up, come to church, say all the right thing, and a whole other set when you're elsewhere. Friend, you're being conformed to this world. Are you dominated by the materialism of the world? Got to have a better one of these and upgrade this and another one of these. If that's what life is all about, the world is doing its job. You're being conformed. Do you compare your morality to the world's? 
You know what too many Christians try to do? They try to figure out where is that proverbial line that separates Christian from world. And they want to snuggle up as close as they can to the world and say, see, I'm still a Christian. A dedicated believer is not thinking that way. They're not thinking how close to the world can I be. Rather, they're thinking how close to God can I be. Friend, when you begin to pursue that, you'll find the world far behind. Peter reminds us. He says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lust and your ignorance. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation of the way that you live. Why? Because God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. What's it take to be a dedicated Christian? It takes surrendering of ourselves to God, separation from the world, and finally this morning it takes saturation of our mind in God's Word. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transform is an interesting term. It means to be changed into another form. It's the idea of metamorphosis. Remember biology class and learn about some of those things? That classic illustration of a caterpillar that could make that cocoon or that chrysalis and emerge a beautiful butterfly. I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina at camp. We'd find the ugliest, hairiest caterpillar we could, stick it on some girl, and she'd get that off. And then she'd watch a butterfly go by and she'd go, aww. You know what she didn't understand? The only difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly is metamorphosis. Do you know the difference between a Christian that the world looks at and says, well, why would I go to church with you? You dress the same way, talk the same way, drink the same stuff, watch the same things. Why would I need what you have? And when they would look at it and say, now you have something different than I have, something I need. The difference is transformation. You see, this word transform, just like the word conformed, is a present passive imperative. Remember what that means? God says, do it today, tomorrow, keep doing it. It's a command, but it's passive, which means you don't just transform yourself. There's an outside force that does this to us. What's the outside force? We're we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. How is our mind renewed? The answer is through the, the Word of God. You see the difference? The world wants to control your thinking, so it applies pressure from without. But God wants to control your thinking by releasing the Spirit's power from within. If the world controls your thinking, you're a conformer. If God controls your thinking, you're a transformer. You say, like the movies? Uh Uh-uh. Like the book, okay? He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what a renewed mind is? It's one that is saturated and filled with the Word of God. It's one that spends as little time as possible thinking on earthly things and as much time as possible thinking on eternal things. It's as Paul was saying in Colossians, to set your affections on things above, not just on things here on this earth. You say, well, time out, time out. If I did that, I would be like the the Christian that was so heavenly minded, they were of no earthly good. You ever heard that statement? It's nonsense. You'll never meet a Christian thinking biblically that's so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Think about it. Would you say the Apostle Paul was heavenly minded? Well, he said in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That sounds heavenly minded to me. Was it any earthly good? Well, here we are reading words he penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit yet again today. We're thankful that Christ was certainly heavenly minded. He had never left heaven to come to earth except to do his Father's will out of a heart of love. You know, the problem is not so many Christians that are so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good. We have far too many believers so earthly minded they're really of no eternal good. God says you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So let's review. Why should I be a dedicated Christian? Because of all we've been given in salvation. 
We've been justified. We're being sanctified. One day we'll be glorified. How do I do this? We do it by surrendering ourselves to God, separating from the world, saturating our mind in God's Word. Finally this morning, what happens when I do that? What's the result of being a dedicated Christian? He ends verse 2 by saying, that ye may prove. What is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? You know what the result is of being a dedicated Christian? You're doing God's will. You know, sometimes we have this idea that God's will is some mystical thing that only a few ever discover. You know, this morning is written for us. Black print on a white page. If you've been saved, you know what God's desire, His intent, His purpose, His will is for your life? That you'd be a dedicated believer. Now, maybe this morning I'm talking to someone, you're saying, Ben, I can't be a dedicated Christian. Frankly, I don't even know that I'm a Christian. I don't know that if I die just like I am, that I immediately go to be in heaven with God. Hey, I have some good news for you. Do you realize that today, right there in the privacy of your seat in just a moment, by faith, you can receive the gift of eternal life. You can be born again into the family of God. If you'll recognize yourself as a sinner before a holy, righteous God, our sin separates us from God. We cannot get to God. That's why He sent His Son, Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life in your place and mine. We could not do that, so He did it for us. He went to the cross to pay the sacrifice for our sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. He died and was buried and raised again. He offers this morning a gift. It's a gift based on the mercies of God. He wants to spare you from what you deserve. He offers you graciously the gift of eternal life that can be received by receiving Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, has there ever been a time and a place in your life where you saw yourself as a sinner? Where you acknowledged your sinfulness before God and you were willing to repent of your sin and by faith receive what Jesus Christ has done for you? If that's never happened to you, it can happen to you today. Before you leave and go to lunch today, you can receive and experience the mercies of God and salvation. And you can leave here with a Bible assurance that heaven will be your eternal home. Christian, how about you? Are you a dedicated believer? We've seen this morning why we should be, because of all we've been given in salvation. He's told us how we can be by surrendering each day to the Lord, by choosing to separate from the world, by saturating our mind in God's Word. In doing so, we're fulfilling God's will for our life. That's why he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's what it takes to be a dedicated believer.